Welcome to another edition of Baseball and Beyond, presented by Masses Restaurants. Today, a thrill. Someone you've watched. Oh, I'm sure it's a big thrill, yeah. Someone I've watched. That voice could only be one person. Who is it? <laughs> this is your conscience speaking. <laughs> no, this is Mike Bush from Channel 5. It is Mike Bush, everybody. And it is, obviously, it's a thrill. And I texted you. We talked about doing this about a month ago. And then I said, you know, I haven't interviewed you in 23 years. <laughs> and that made you feel real good, right? Yeah. <laughs> See, this is the problem is that, you know, people tell me, well, I grew up watching you, and I keep going, how did I get this old? I just don't know when this happened. It just all has gone by very fast. And it feels like you were doing sports maybe four or five years ago, but it's, well, how long has it been? 13 years. It's been 13 years since I, I gave up the sports desk. So uh, you'd be surprised now. For people like you, you know I was in sports, but a lot of people have no idea that that, that ever occurred. So... That's a little weird for me, too. Well, and, like, the changes have, are so different. You guys back in the day, I mean, it was so competitive, and it's still competitive, but do you sense it's even as competitive? I mean, obviously it was more, I think, the sports people were very competitive. I know you guys were very competitive. You, when you ran the department with Channel 2 and Channel 4, I don't know if I see that as much, but I, I guess the news business is still pretty competitive. You well, and sure. I mean, it, but the whole business has changed so much since then. I mean, I mean you got to realize that when I started in sports, I mean – Basically, there were three channels. I mean, that was it. People, I mean, people... Don't didn't. forget about Channel 30. Yeah, but, e, but I'm just... Not when I was in St. Louis, no, but no. just when I started in doing television news, it was ABC, NBC, and CBS for the news. And occasionally, depending on what market you were in, there was an independent or two, and they may have done a little news. And now, you know, it's just exploded, and there's news everywhere. And so... Uh, you know, local news is, yeah, sure, it's competitive. It's very competitive because, um, you know, there's so many outlets now that people can get advertising and, and salespeople are working their butts off just to just to keep, uh, you know, these, these television stations afloat. So, um, yeah, it's definitely changed, I'll tell you. But it was, uh, I feel very lucky to have gone through uh, the era of the 80s and the 90s and, and had the opportunity when you know when they were spending a little money at uh, local television stations on, on sports. Yeah, yeah, we'll talk about what you're doing now because everyone sees you every night. But I mean, I think for people my age, it's always fun to talk about those times in the '80s and '90s. And and what you did here, you had four people on your sports staff, and I think uh, people talked about when you would say, you know, News Channel Five has learned. I mean, you guys, it's it, you guys were. You were Twitter before Twitter, and the paper, you know, you had to wait till the next day to see it. What, how much pride did you take? And, and you had great sources, too, so you were using those sources all the time. But I think everyone always thought, well, if there's something happening, I'm going to go to Channel 5. I'm going to see what Mike has to say. Well, I do think, I mean, I think back then it was a really big deal if you could break a story. And so you, you worked your butt off to try to do that as often as you could. Um, uh, you know, these days it breaks on Twitter before it breaks anywhere else. Um, and, and the local tele, I mean, you know, you said that it wasn't, the newspapers didn't get it till the next day. Well, now a local television station may not get it till the next hour. And that's too late because people are breaking it on Twitter. People who are at the scene who aren't in the news business are breaking it. So the whole thing has totally changed, but yeah, it was, you know, it was a source of pride and you tried to, you tried to break stories as often as you could. Um, you know, our, we had a, a a much larger sports staff than the staff than most of these folks have today in local TV. We were very lucky to have, you know, great people like Trey Wingo and Matt Weiner working for us. Um, 
And so, you know, it was, and, and for us, for me in particular, we took great pride in our Sunday night show, Sports Plus, because it was, it was kind of what we worked through all week. And it started, I had to beg the general manager for, for 10 extra minutes on a Sunday night because a friend of mine who was in the business when I first got here said, you got to get a Sunday night show. He said, that's the key to making a name for yourself in a market. So I begged him. We had the love connection on back then. Remember this? Two and two. Two and two with Chuck Woolery. So he, he delayed the love connection for like 10 minutes. We did it. It did pretty well. It went to a how half ma- an hour. How many letters did you get? <laughs> we, we actually got a few. We actually got. But you remember, the, the letters, they didn't come in very fast back <laughs> then. So um, these days it would be email. You know, it could break your inbox. Um, but then we went to a half an hour, and then we went to an hour, and so it was it was a lot of fun. I mean, it was when I look back at that time, it was stressful because we always tried to do a good job every day, but in a good way, it was a lot of fun. I, and there is to me, there is not a show on like that anymore, no matter where you look in our market. And I also I also want to ang- I'm going to be angry at you for creating embrace debate because now that's what everyone does. But the pit, I mean, when you brought in. Randy Carricker and Kevin Slayton and Bernie. I mean, people would – it was appointment television. If you weren't watching it, you recorded it to see what they said because those guys didn't have really the outlets they have now. Um, so it, you, you created the pit and well, embraced, embraced I, the bait. I would like to take a lot of credit for that, but the truth is uh, in that day, uh, sports talk was pretty big in St. Louis on the radio and, and still is today. Mm-hmm. But I thought if we could just bring a little of that to television, maybe we could have some fireworks, and occasionally we did. Now, I know this. I mean, I've heard, but I'd love to hear just the background, everything that happens. Kevin Slayton and Randy Carricker on camera, you could tell both of them, Kevin a little more angrier than Randy, and Randy obviously probably doesn't want to put up the Dukes, but just tell us everything that happened. They're having a debate, and it continues later into the uh, night off yeah. camera. I mean, they, they got pretty heated. I don't even remember what it was about, but they got pretty heated in a discussion, and uh, and the discussion continued when we went to a commercial break, and I think even when we went off the air, and Malcolm Briggs had to, had to step in between them at one point. But it, it was fine. Everything was fine. We, we explained to Kevin at that point that we just, you know, for insurance reasons, and, and we just don't want, you know, one sportscaster beating up another. We just couldn't have it. Um, but think but, of the ratings, Mike. Yeah. you got to think ratings. No, we, got, we, have, we have to think uh, liability is what we have to think. But um, it was fine. You know, it was one small incident, and most of the time everybody got along pretty well, even if they disagreed. So while you're in sports, you had some great personalities. Whitey, you had Tony LaRussa. Uh, but just you know, give me some uh, you know a good Whitey story. I mean, you even got to travel with the Cardinals those couple years that Channel Five had the games. Uh, great Whitey stories, great moments with Whitey, or any interactions with him that you can kind of because he was kind of he 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 did not seemingly like TV guys. I thought was his big thing. Well, you know, I think he loved the newspaper guys. I think that was it. And uh, we would go into the you know into the locker room, and they they would always have first dibs. I think, you know, the great thing about Whitey is that he, was, he was always very candid. He he was always willing to tell you what was on his mind. He was not a guy to hold back. Um, we we would try to get him on Sports Plus as often as possible. Uh, you're holding my feet to the fire, and I can't remember a specific one story. I do remember I did have to interview him after a playoff loss as he was coming from the shower to his, his office, I said, Whitey, can we talk to you? And he said, yeah, let's do it right here. 
And so I had to interview him right there in the middle of the locker room, and all he was wearing was a towel. And I thought, this is just so weird. This is just weird. But as usual, he was as candid and, and, and brilliant as always. I, it was, you know, when you have a character like that and giving the opportun- get, getting the opportunity to spend some time with him, you know, that's a big thrill. He's a Hall of Famer, for heaven's sakes. Right. It does seem like, though, for me, as a, as a fan watching and, and kind of coming up in this business, baseball players were difficult, a little more difficult then than they are now, and I don't know what it was, but did you sense that as you're, you're being around? Because we had the Blues, and we'll talk about them in a second, but it was so different. Everyone was just yeah. so easy over there. Yeah. Oh, no, the Blues were great, and if you were a television sportscaster back then, you loved covering the Blues. And I still think for hockey players in general are just they're just nice people and they're willing to talk to the media and and I think then and I'm not sure it, it holds true now, but they weren't as well trained by media specialists, so you didn't always get, well, I gotta give a hundred percent kind of answers. You got answers. I mean, you know, we, we lived through the time of Mike Keenan and Brett Hull. And Brett Hull even if Mike Keenan was standing 15 feet away, would say what was on his mind. It was fantastic. Mm-hmm. I could use a Brett Hull soundbite every single night on the air, and it was meaty and juicy, and people just ate it up. And and the other thing about him is he was he was that outrageous in an interview, but on the ice, every single night a fan would go to the game, he scored a goal. I mean, he scored 86 goals in a season. I mean, imagine that now. I mean, there's nobody ever heard of that kind of thing now. So if you were you lived way out in St. Charles and you didn't care that much about hockey, but you're going to get a ticket just for that one chance to see Brett Hull score a goal or two or three that night, he put butts in the seats and, and was so much fun to cover. And in those days of the Blues, you know, it's a shame they didn't win the Stanley Cup, but it was it was a lot of fun to cover. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, fans who were younger would probably not even realize how they were bigger than the Cardinals from 1991 to 95 because yeah. the strike and you had Hall and you had Shanahan and you had this revolving group and it was so much fun. But I, I loved that you guys had this pipeline to Jack Quinn. Mm-hmm. I mean, you had Kay Quinn here, so Jack, and you always had the Blues news. And what was that like to have – I mean, the president, the guy. I mean, that's that's got to be a huge thing because you guys have the Gretzky news. You have every type of news that any com- that ever comes through here. It actually started because uh, the the night that Harry Ornest sold the team to Mike Shanahan and his group, um, I decided with my producer, Andy Moeller, we decided to go over to the Cheshire Inn where that was happening, and we were going to wait them out. And we were there till 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, and it was just us and I think a newspaper. It was just one other reporter with us. And we spent time. When it was over, we talked to Harry. We talked to Mike Shanahan, and it was the first time I think I had met him. And, and we struck up a conversation, and we struck up a relationship, and we had a really great relationship. He's truly one of the great people I've ever met in sports. Um, and he, had, he loved St. Louis. He wanted the Blues to do well. They, you know, they tried and tried and tried to 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 get it done. Um, but when we struck up that relationship, that opened a pipeline, and then we had Jack Quinn was a, was a great pipeline, and it was great. The, the the thing that they understood that I don't think a lot of teams understand today is that, I mean, we would report on we would have Blues stories in June, in July, and August. I mean, I could call Ron Caron or Jack Quinn or Mike Shanahan and say, what's brewing here? And they would 
tell me sometimes what was brewing and some of the things that they were thinking about doing. And, and so the blues were making news in those months. And, you know, everybody's a little bit more, more closed these days. Um, but it was, it, I mean, it was a lot of fun. And, you know, we were able to break trade news or free agent news, you know, um, and then get the opportunity to interview those people like, you know, Scott Stevens when he came here and Brendan Shanahan and those, and those folks. Yeah, it's probably a book on that whole time. Yeah. Uh, I do, I think also the book, uh, I don't know where you start or where you end it, but uh, football in St. Louis over the last 25 years. But I do want to ask you, let's go to 1993 because I, you guys were there, right, in, in uh, Chicago. Yeah. St. Louis is going to get a team, right? Yeah. And just tell me everything that happens that night. You guys believe, right, that, I mean, you and Bernie, you're all up there, and you believe that you saw the Stallions logo, right? Give me everything that happened and just how that all kind of what kind of fell apart because I kind of don't remember. I know those two sides, and it's sort of like the MLS thing that's happening right now. Yeah. There's two sides, and that's pretty much what happened. Well, we were in Chicago, and, and we, we did see the Stallions logo, and we were led to believe, just in talking with some other NFL owners, that St. Louis was going to be one of the teams. But we were also hearing rumblings that they weren't happy with the ownership group and, and that this, this could be a problem. But we didn't think, well, I mean, St. Louis is going to get, they're not going to give a team to Jacksonville, Florida. Are you kidding me? And so it was a huge shock when they revealed the two uh, franchises and it wasn't St. Louis. I mean, it was just a, a huge shock. Um, and you know, we talked to the owners, and I mean, the bottom line was they were not happy with the with the ownership group. And you remember, it was Jerry Clinton and Fran Murray at first, and then Civic Progress got involved, and that's when Stan Kroenke's name first came up. Um, but they just didn't get the act to get their act together to 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 pull it off. If they would have. I think we'd still have a team today. Oh, so sad. Don't even talk about it. See, it feels bitter, though. More bitter this time than 87. Again, I was young then. Does it feel like it was oh, more? Oh, yeah. No, it's way more bitter. I mean, it was bitter when Bill Bidwell left. But the truth is, if you look back now with hindsight, uh, Bidwell gave St. Bidwell didn't really want to move the team. He gave St. Louis some opportunities to build a new stadium. Um, but, you know, they had never been very good on the field uh, except for a little run in the in the Jim Hart era, and so people didn't just didn't have an appetite for it to build a new stadium, and they didn't like to be blackmailed. In this case, you know, we were lied to, um, we were manipulated. Stan Kroenke couldn't care less whether the team won or lost; he just wanted to make money, and so it's much more bitter this time. Um, he, I mean, he's he's like evil. <laughs> I mean, I really, I mean, he's evil in what he did to the team. And then, you know, they ha they hold this news conference to announce that the team is, is moving. And, and Roger Goodell is laughing like, like this is funny. It's not funny. No. It's not funny to any of us who are sports fans in St. Louis and the way this whole thing was handled. So, yeah, it's bitter. And I'll tell you something. I'm having more fun watching them lose now than I did the last few years when they were here and they were losing. I I'm just rooting whoever whoever they're playing. I am that that team's biggest fan that particular day, and I hope they never win another game ever again. My thing is, it's you know, and no one cares about my opinion, but this is my show, so I'm going to yes, give it. My, you should give your no. Opinion. I felt like it was it was mafioso. That, that night in Houston, watching them just laugh at Frank and Martin, and just right. it was they were mafia types and were bigger and better than you. Yeah. Stan 
does not care about football. He does not care about sports. He cares about land. And until people in St. Louis, we, at least I know it, I don't know why the other fans in the city don't see it. He just gave a coach who's terrible. Who's he's going to break the record for most right. law. He just gave him a two-year extension. Right. He does not. He loved, it's, it's about land. and has nothing to do with football. And that's why I gave it up in 2012 when I finally said this, this is not – he can't tell us he's staying. Why, why should I go? So I got over it in 2012. Maybe that's why I'm, I'm not as bitter as most people are because I knew it. I just think they put us through the ringer last year where basically they just right. lied. And, and we went through these machinations of trying to build a new stadium. And some people worked, Dave Peacock and folks, they work their asses off yeah. to try to get something done. And I, so I felt really bad for the people that, that thought they were telling the truth. And they were not telling the truth. And, and you know, it, it's, I'm, yeah, I am very bitter about it. And, and I, I hope they have, I mean, the thing is, is he's going to build this Taj Mahal in L.A. And people, even though the team will stink, the people will go just for that for a little while. And then they'll stop going. Yeah. L.A., I mean, even their TV ratings, even the Rams TV ratings are not the leading football team's TV ratings in that market. People don't care in L.A. Yeah. Not like St. Louis. And then he's going to get another team to come in and rent, and, and right. no one in San Diego is. It, it, they just don't care about people. So, no, they all right. Don't. Hope you're enjoying this edition of Baseball and Beyond, presented by Masses. Mike Bush, a St. Louis icon. I mean, the guy's been on TV here since 1985, and uh, I did not realize he'd stopped doing sports so, such a long time ago, but left a mark, and I hope you're enjoying it. We have some some real fun here towards the end. Oh, well, I have fun. I don't think he enjoyed it, but <laughs> you will see. Uh, but again, we thank you. I thank you for listening. I want to tell you about Mass's Restaurants. I think if you've listened to this podcast before, you've heard me talk about it. And if you haven't, I'm going to talk about them for just a couple seconds here. There's five locations in St. Louis. If you're in the St. Louis area, you've probably heard of them. If you're not, if you're in Aruba, I noticed I heard a, had a listener in Aruba, three listeners in Aruba, uh, it's a great restaurant, Italian fare, low prices, big portions, delicious pizzas, pastas. They've got seafood. It's a good atmosphere. You like atmosphere at your restaurants? I do. I like a little atmosphere. Uncle Bill has uh, put the atmosphere together at some of these, so you'll notice. I think every time you go, you can look around and go, what is, what is that? Uncle Bill's kind of a little, a little different, but uh, he's definitely decorated the restaurants in his own image and it's an interesting look but that's part of the fun of going to masses is taking a look around enjoying those bartenders they're a hoot those bartenders waiters waitresses they will make sure that you have fun that you're served well that your food is warm and tasting good it's masses restaurants five locations in st louis stlmasses.com is where you can find those locations you can find menus you can find anything you need to know about my favorite restaurant. Got another sponsor, I think, coming on here in the next year, and I'm very excited about that. So, seriously, if you're interested, I'm looking for anyone to join. I do this out of the goodness of my heart, but thanks to Masses and now another sponsor, it could add up to a little more fun for your podcast friend Brad here. So, any chance that you uh, decide that you might have a business interested, you know, real estate company, Maybe some financial advisors. Hint, hint. Come on, give me a shout. At Brad Strobinger is my Twitter handle. You can find me on my uh, blog page, Brad's Blogs, 
bradssportspage.blogspot.com. Yes, it was built in 1998, so it's obviously a newer blog. But anyway, always looking for sponsors, looking for feedback. If you do like this, you know what you could do for me is go to iTunes and write a review. I would like to see it come up when you do the search. So go to iTunes, give it a good review, and um, I will be ever thankful. Now we go back to Mike Bush. We're going to talk about his hair. Uh, if he has actually seen any similarities between him and Ron Burgundy and other fun stuff that I don't think he really enjoyed me asking, actually. He, he was great. Uh, so let's get back to the interview, and I thank you for listening. But football, you did uh, the Rams. You'd called the Super Bowl. Where, where, I mean, you probably have a million broadcast thrills. Where does it rank to have that call? And, I mean, it's a great call. It's the one of the greatest endings to a football game and, uh, you know, gateway to the best football team in the world. I love it. Well, I will say this: that whole year, I was extremely stressed because we were. I was not only doing the play-by-play for the Rams, but we were also still doing Sports Plus. So, and if you remember that year, every game was at noon, no matter where they played, they were at noon. And so, I, it was still my job. My boss made sure that was part of the agreement of of doing the games is that I was going to anchor Sports Plus that night. I was going to fly in from Detroit or wherever. And get a couple packages on there, so it was just a boo hoo, Mike. You have to go to it. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm, I'm just saying <laughs> I'm just it was. Ki- I'm, I'm just kidding. kidding. And then I put no, all I this know. pressure on yourself to do right, a right. decent job. And then this team, I thought they'd stink. Right. I mean, when Trent Green went down, right. I thought the season was over. So, um, so then you start to feel the pressure of, oh my God, what's happening? So anyway, the the, the truth is though, when I was our radio booth in Atlanta for the Super Bowl was on the 50-yard line. I mean, I'm looking to my left, I'm looking to my right. We had his, we had the best seats in, in all the broadcast booths. And I'm thinking, this is amazing. And even as the game was going on, I was pinching myself that I was broadcasting a Super Bowl. And I still pinch myself to this day. It was, it's, I'd, I, I'd say that and what happened afterwards, which was the parade down Market Street, Remember, this team had only been here a few years. They came in 95. And yet there were 100,000-plus in Market Street on a hugely cold night. And I thought, isn't it amazing how sports can bring a community together and how all these people are here because they're so excited that St. Louis is is a city of champions. Um, and, you know, it's the, the Rams will never... Even if they had stayed, they would have never reached the level of how people care about the Cardinals because the Cardinals have a hundred plus years of history. But it was still a really cool experience to see how how uh, St. Louis uh, could come together and and how sports could bring them together. Yeah, I don't think sports not uh, non sports fans understand it either. And when they talk about Ballpark Village getting it's part of the thing. It's part of the deal. The Cardinals. Uh, you know, that's just it's it's a college team basically with uh, in a in an MLB stadium. All right, a few things. Your hair. This is my hair debated for years. I mean, the greatest hair in TV hasn't changed. I mean, tell me a little bit about. You mean the RFT has a poll best TV hair? I mean, you really you have to know that this is Joe Buck has written about it in his book. He was just on this podcast. He talks about it. Say, you don't know this. You're shaking your head as no, if you no, don't. No, I know Joe Buck wrote about his. You hair. you don't know that people love your hair. No, that it's I, an amazing. I'm not familiar with it. Okay. I, I I just do it in the morning and come to work. I you know 
You haven't changed though. This, I mean, you go yeah, back. See, but see, people think that that, that I'm like a nerd because I, I haven't changed. It's the same darn hair that I've worn forever. Well, your face too. You have the the boyish 1987 but, face but I, too. But I, I once said to Ann Allred, you know, you know, the the messy look is in, and she said, well, that's just not you. So don't worry about it. And so I don't. I just go I just comb my hair in the morning. I brush my hair in the whole morning and come to work. I think this is the only job that you could do that hair with. That, that has to be the hair. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you to anchor hair. How many Emmys do you have? Now, I'm, I'm mad about it. There's another thing I'm mad about. Every year, I thought you left sports 13 years ago. So every year I'd put in a little, you know, here I did this thing at Fox. Mike, what, Mike Bush is putting in a sports category. And then you win. Who, who do you know at this Emmy? I am angry, Mike. I have four. I should have eight. <laughs> Just kidding. But how many do you have and how fun is it? I, I honestly don't know. Oh, yes. No, no, no. I don't, I've never counted. Uh, uh, I, I believe just because of the, the shelves that we have, it's, you know, it's a lot because um, we're running out of space. But, you know, the truth is, is that it, maybe for what you did, you could do it by yourself. But what I, I've never won an Emmy on my own ever once. Um, I work with great photographers and great producers, and the assignment editor says, okay, uh, you can go do this story. So I've never won one on my own. Um, I still enter in sports because, you know, I try to keep my hand in the cookie jar a little bit. So if there's a great sports story, that's also maybe a Making a Different Story, a Musial Award story. We, we try to do that, and sometimes it's it's the category that that particular story belongs to so well, i'll accept your apology if you'd like <laughs> yeah i'm very sorry but you win all the time it is funny and i'm like it's pushing it oh son of a <laughs> but it does take a lot of time and people um i wanted to ask you did you watch the movie anchorman and what were your thoughts did you go oh this is not even right or oh my goodness that is so funny no, i laughed my <laughs> ass off no i really laughed hard and the thing that here's what uh got me i don't know if you remember so uh this in the first anchorman the anchorman 2 was terrible but uh, he wore, he, they all wore the same color jackets. When I started in TV, this is how old I am. When I started in TV, I wore a gold Channel 4 jacket from KVOA in Tucson. So it was gold. And, you know, to match gold with your shirt and tie is not an easy thing. So you had a lot of greens and stuff. But when I, when I saw Anchorman, I'm thinking, oh, my God, this I lived this. This is how it was. I mean, there was not fights between, you know, uh, anchor teams. But it was, I mean, there was a lot, a lot of real stuff in there. Um, well, and it's representing the late 70s and early 80s. And, right, and right. I used to write into a teleprompter stuff for an anchor that I used to work for just to see if he'd read it. He'd always catch it. But it would make me mad that he'd catch it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you try to at least go over the scripts before you get out there. There have been times where I've been on a story and, it, and it's really late and I just get back and we, we go on the air and, and I haven't had a chance to look them over. And then I do worry about, say, stay classy or whatever, <laughs> San Diego. So, um, But fortunately, that hasn't happened yet. We're kind of wrapping up, and I appreciate your time. Uh, you do news now. I, the one the last thing I did want to ask before I get into sort of what you're doing now is um, I thought the telethons, and this kind of goes into what you do in St. Louis, but the fact that you you would do these Jerry Lewis telethons, I don't know how many years you did them, but it was literally, it meant I had to go to school again. Mm -hmm. Damn it, Mike's on all day. But how did you stay awake? I, I mean, I don't know how you did that. Uh, you, sometimes you did look like it was just 
get me out of here, you know, like a guy who'd fought. But uh, you did those. You, you were a big part of the MSD telethon. And uh, it's kind of sad that's gone. But just what you do around the community, including that, just being up all night. Well, the telethons, I mean, if you ask me what the most important thing that that I do in St. Louis, and it's it's the charity work and – um, I, you know, I was lucky enough to do uh, work for with MDA for 28 years, I think it was, and I still keep in touch with many of the families that that I got to know. It all started. We had a there was a little girl named Allison Reinhardt, and her mom came t- to the station. Uh, back then, we we did a little cover shot promoting the the telethon. Um, in the TV guide and the post dispatch, there was just a little picture, and so I just started talking to her mom, and I realized what a challenge it was for a child with muscular dystrophy. And then over the years, getting to know the families and doing the stories every year, and you know, I convinced the folks here to do like a series of stories leading up to the telethon. So I would do you know five, uh, you know, pretty in depth stories leading up to the telethon. So you, you get to know these people, and uh, th- th- truly, I mean, they are the most amazing parents and kids you'd ever want to meet. They, they care so much about, you know, giving their children quality of life, and their children are amazing in their courage and how they, how they go about life. Um, they're not, you, you might think they're sad people. They're not sad at all. They embrace life probably more than, than most people, most able-bodied people. So uh, it, it was, it was uh, uh, an honor for me to do it. And quite honestly, I wish it was still, uh, still going on. Just MDA decided to go in a different direction. Mm-hmm. Lastly, I mean, you're, you're the news guy. You're the anchor man. You're on every night. I mean, what, I'm sure when, when you got here in 1985, you never, I mean, did you think? <laughs> 2016, no. you'd be. So what does it mean to be the guy? I mean, really, honestly, I mean, Dick Ford. I mean, the names that go, you're the mainstay guy, and it, it, you leave such an impression. And, and what does it mean when you're just out in the community? And how often do people come up to you and say stuff to you? And, and what does that mean to you, that that this is what you've done? This is what, you know, you've become. I mean, basically, I, I told people I was interviewing, and they got as, as excited as when I told them, you know, Ozzy or Bob Costas. Yeah. I mean, it really is that. And it's that what it, it's, it does, it, it means that to me because I've watched you as a kid growing See, up. This so. is the problem. Is that people, <laughs> the kid. So we were talking off the air, but I said that the person who sits next to me every night, Ann Allred, was three years old when I started at Channel 5. And many of the people I work with weren't even born when I started at Channel 5. So I have, you know, I mean, I got to work with great people like Karen Foss and Dick Ford and Deanne Lane. And, you know, I learned so much from all those people. Um, and and I saw how they handled their business. And I've tried to handle my business in, in, in a similar way. Um, I still my my favorite thing to do isn't really on the anchor desk. I still love getting out and telling stories. Um, I I you know after about a year of doing news, there was a it was getting to me because it's a lot of negative stuff. So I convinced my boss uh, that I could work on positive stories, people making a difference in the community. Um, so we've been doing that ever since, and I just love telling those stories because you go out. You, you know how this works. You go out and you uh, do your interviews and you try to think of, a, of, of an interesting way to tell that story. And you start with a blank page and then you try to create something. And uh, it's, it's like making a movie, only it's not two hours long. It's a minute 30 or two minutes or two minutes and 30 seconds long. 
Um, but you start from scratch and try to get from A to Z in an interesting way. And so that's what I really enjoy. And as far as people coming up to me, you know, it's still a thrill for anybody who recognizes me. I just think it's an honor to, to, to be in this job in this community. And if you run out of space for Emmys, I, I could, like I said, I wanted a few that you took from me. I'm, I'm still, sorry. and I'm surprised, just to wrap up, I'm surprised you don't know the hair thing. I, I can't, this is a big deal to me that you have the most perfect hair. I, I mean, I do, I am a little fastidious about it in the morning to make sure that, you know, I don't have, it's not going everywhere. But, you know, when you, when you're on television, your goal is to not let it be a distraction. Because if someone's looking, if your tie's a little crooked or your hair is out of place or whatever, they're going to be looking at that and not what you're talking about. So your goal is to not be a distraction to the news that you're trying to present. So I'll leave with a catchphrase, and there you have it. That's you, right? So just the last catchphrase. You did catchphrases. you got to love it. Um, part, part, of, part of the deal, yeah, right? See, it's old school, you know. Courage. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's old school. You know, Walter Cronkite and, and Edward R. Murrow and all that, and I'm old, so I just – I started catchphrases back when, when I thought that's what you should do. And I'm still going. I'm going to hang on to them <laughs> until I die. Well, there you have it, folks. Stay classy, say Lewis. And I really I do appreciate your time, Mike I Bush. Like always, always fun to catch up. That's Baseball and Beyond, presented by Masses Restaurants in St. Louis. Thanks for listening. Hope you follow us on iTunes. And follow me on Twitter at Brad Stroud.